3: Part two of our lovely chat with Susie Ruffle is here. This is it. If you haven't heard part one, head back to the feed, press play. And if you have, here's part two. I wanted to ask you a question about you said something earlier and I was talking to Amelia Abraham the other week about the term lesbian. Because you said lesbian, then you went queer women. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting what's happening to the word lesbian. What is it? What is happening to it?
0: People get quite cross about it. Mm. I would say older lesbians get very cross about it. Like I was in a documentary and someone tweeted at me, Susie Ruffles has not referred to herself as a lesbian once. (laughs) And you sort of can't help but go, I mean, I must, like the whole time I'm on screen... (laughs) I was definitely being one. You know, it wasn't like I was, you know, I wasn't like <laughs> flirting with a man.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's like, I think it's a tricky thing. So I think that the, the thing about women getting in touch with me and saying, you need to refer to yourself as a lesbian. Mm. Because I often say I'm a gay woman. Mm. And I don't know why that is, but it's just how I've always defined myself. Because I don't really think it's up to anybody else to decide how I should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I often get older Lesbians saying you should use the word lesbian it's really important the word's dying out and I think language evolves and I think that that's fine and I also think it's because there's sort of a lack of representation of lesbians in the media gay women in the media queer women in the media I mean it's obviously changing like Mm. you know dramatically at the moment but I think that because of that some people that refer to themselves as gay women would say to me, You should use the word gay. you should queers have gay women. Queer women would say, You should be using the word queer. Lesbians mm. would say, you should use the word lesbian because some people want you to sort of be that thing for them. Mm. Not, you know, this isn't I'm not i am not someone that's particularly you know, well known or famous, but it's interesting that when you're on like because of being on a documentary and me not saying me saying, I'm a lesbian. Uh, not me yeah. saying I'm queer. Or I'm gay. But I I just thought it was quite interesting because I talked, like, at length about my wife and about coming out. But then for people to come at me being like, oh, Susie Ruffle hasn't used the word lesbian. You're like, mm. oh, Jesus wept. Like, I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing as much as I can for us. Yes. Like,
3: it, What is the difference between saying gay woman and lesbian?
0: I don't know. I don't mm. think there is really anything. But maybe is that an internalised sort of lesphobia mm. that I don't like the word lesbian. Also, I think that it was something that was shouted at me. Right. And so, you know, I know that in lots of ways people, would, you could say like, you know, people have taken ownership like of that. But, you know, I think that's probably why I like the word queer and why often people that are in their sort of 70s and 80s might not like it because no one's ever called me queer. Mm. No, like I've only ever called myself queer, whereas lesbian or dyke, but more often lesbian has been something that's been shouted at me.
1: Really? Yeah. And like, this
0: would certainly be something that was like... The worst thing you could possibly be at my school. Mm. So I guess gay had a different connotation to me because I was, you know, in my teenage brain, it was like, Graham Norton's gay, this person's gay, that person's gay. In Will and Grace, Will's gay. Like you know, those sort of yes. queer touch points that you have as a as a teen. Yeah, the word gay didn't have loads of sort of horrid connotations. Although at school people would say that's a gay, okay. yes. but. I think that it wasn't as
3: sort of menacing. Yes, makes so much sense. And also, I feel like gay man uh, or lesbian, I'm just going to preface this with I'm just throwing ideas around here, people. Please don't get cross with me. Please do get cross with them. Actually, <laughs> <please>. <laughs> it's hello at homo sapienspodcast.com or at homo sapiens <laughs> on Instagram if you want to have a go at me. Um, they're about individual tribes of people, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Those terms. And I think that's why we're all saying queer, because we're moving into a space where it's like we're all in it together a bit more.
0: And that's what I I really like. And I think it's something that you actually don't see an awful lot of. But I'm really good friends with gay men. Mm. I get on really well with gay men. And I think there was certainly a time when, you know, it was more divided within our community. Mm. But it does feel like now, and I don't know whether that's because of, like, the loss of gay bars or the loss of, like, whether, you know, when you go to, like, an event, like a Sink the Pink type thing. Yes. You know, it is sort of like... It's kind of like a catch-all for all of us. Yes. Uh, Um, mm. You know, I think there was probably certainly a time when lesbians really... And maybe some lesbians still feel that way, where they really wanted to be like, no, this is just us. This isn't about gay men. Mm. Which I think is fine. And I think it was probably really necessary. But just all the gay men that I hang out with and that are really good friends to me would be like... Your voice is just as important.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't
0: worry. Like, you know, you're. we're not going to talk over you. This is your space as well. Yes. I guess it's just the evolution of language, isn't it? Mm. And I guess queer is something that people like to feel... I don't know. I guess, like, it's sort of embracing an otherness.
3: Yes. And understanding there's greys within all the otherness that we're all yeah. finally getting on board with. And, and does it matter? You know?
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing. Do you find that with... You were saying if people want to get in touch, email in. But because of hosting such a successful, I was going to say queer, homo, however you want to call it, podcast, (laughs) do you find that people get in touch with you to sort of be like, oh, you got that wrong, or you need to be more like this, or you said those things wrong? Or
3: did you find that? Um, I thought we would get a lot more than we do. And actually, I think that this is my summation again. Sony just guess work. Um, is that I think if you're coming from the right place, people don't get quite so cross. And I think Yes, I, I think so too. I'm always hoping and happy to be corrected. And then when people do write in and correct, then we read it out. And I've always learnt a lot, you know, from those comments when people have written in. What about you with both of your podcasts? Which which one gets uh, more complaints? <laughs> Probably that one with Tom Allen.
0: Tom and I never get any complaints. <laughs> Other than people being like, What is this? <laughs> because it's just us talking. So some people when so we does have it like, start <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like so we have fans that are like across everything. Like we had so we I we did a thing the other day about what people do with their bath mats when they get out of the shower. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. We had hundreds of people getting in touch, being like this is that. what you do with the bath mat, this is how often you, you like it was so fun and then like obviously we're reading out the correspondence. So people that listen every week are like Stuff about bath (laughs) mats is still happening, hilarious. Whereas if you dip in, people are like, What the fuck is this? (laughs) Like, why is Tom Allen like going, talking at length about how he polishes a mirror? That's not a euphemism. (laughs) Um, The other one that I do, which is like a coming out podcast where I sort of basically wanted to share coming out stories, hopeful queer stories.
3: Mm, it's brilliant.
0: Oh, thanks. That's very nice of you to say. I mean, it was just like a project in lockdown, because I my work and I had nothing to do.
3: You had a cupboard with E.T. in it. And you thought, what the, well, exactly. am I going to do?
0: Alice lets me be. <laughs> um, but I think that um, certainly being, you know, being a gay woman in the media, I think that there is still a lack of us quite a lot of the time, and so I did like quite a lot of research about queer podcasts, and where, mm. and I couldn't find like a woman hosting a good something one? quite like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, yours is excellent. i like, out there, really. <laughs> but that's the thing, and so I wanted to put out something where the the sort of host's voice was, you know, it's an experience like mine. Yeah, you know, and it's been really lovely, and people have been more than overwhelmingly like we get beautiful messages from mm. all kinds of people who you know and, and it's and it's lovely from like allies to people that have just come out to like people that have come out you know 25 years ago and they want to share their story mm. with the podcast and all sorts of things it's just lovely the the only and i've only had maybe in the last four series i've had maybe three or four mm. uh, angry emails and i would say the angriest was someone saying That too many of the lesbians or gay women, however you want to identify, (laughs) that had been on the podcast had said
3: queer women actually. Thank you, queer women.
0: Thank you. The the women that have been on the podcast talking about coming out, the ones that now identify as lesbians or gay, had said, "Of course, I came out as bisexual first Mm. because that's an easier way to come out," and that really upset a couple of bisexual people because they said, Mm. "Well, you can't use our sexuality as a stepping stone," which I totally agree with, and I emailed them back and spoke about it a little bit on the podcast, but also...
3: Began legal proceedings.
0: (laughs) Began legal, yeah, exactly. But I I think that it's important that sort of bisexuality isn't something that is like, oh, well, we all come out as bisexual first, because that's totally not helpful. Mm. It completely invalidates a bisexual person's experience and how difficult it may be for them to come out as bisexual and remain bisexual. Mm. However, when you're interviewing someone, you don't want to edit them. You don't want to say, well, I'm going to cut that bit out, because that's their journey that's their experience i'm sort of the conduit of a story
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so i think you got to be really careful there so i sort of addressed it in the podcast and then made sure that i had a lot of bisexual representation across the rest of the series so (laughs) that people felt heard but i think that similarly to what you were saying at the beginning of this uh, uh this um the, this is, section of the it, chat. Is it rant, you know, is that, that the word you're for? <laughs> No! It, 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 what the fuck is this? No, um,
3: <laughs> We'll get on to bath mats, don't you worry.
0: Thank <laughs> God for that. Um, I, but similar to what you were saying earlier, I think that as long as people know that you're coming from a good place, mm. you know, and I try to do that where I go, I got that wrong. There, there are a couple of people that I've interviewed who have since being interviewed have changed their pronouns. Mm-hmm. And so like, I've tried to be like really on it and sort of like put a little thing at the beginning of the episode saying when we when I interviewed this person they were using she her now they're using they them that is Mm, why mm. their pronouns are now incorrect but you must remember that this was recorded at this date at this time Mm. so I try really hard but of course I'm only human so sometimes I get it wrong Mm. and that's okay and I think that's something that I really try to I don't know embrace yes like fucking up is normal, getting things wrong is normal, as long as you're not doing it with malice and it's not an intentional nasty thing that you're doing, but if you occasionally get something wrong, I think as long as you're willing to sort of learn, and I think it's quite important to sort of learn openly and go, oh I got that wrong, I'm really sorry.
3: Mm, totally.
0: You know, it's a whole sort of conversation about stuff like cancel culture, isn't it, where you sort of go well I think if people were a bit more willing to go oh I got it wrong mm. then cancel culture was wouldn't be the the thing that I think often this sort of cancel culture thing happens, which I don't actually think happens that regularly because anyone that I am aware of that have been cancelled have ended up getting like a book deal or something to talk about (laughs) it. So I don't know how cancelled that can be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let's let's be careful about that. But I think if someone sort of came to the party and said, wow, I didn't know that Mm. because I don't know all the things because I'm just a person that's living my life that knows the things about people exactly like me or just Mm. about my friends or what our life is like, I don't understand everything, then that sort of determination for people to do like a pile-on might not be as much.
3: The head of the BBC News said she was leaving because... Not because, but one of the things she said she was leaving Because of me. Is because of Susie Ruffle. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's weird, isn't it? Let's know. talk about that. Uh, she said because news has become so political. And I was like, Oh, it's really funny. I feel like that's kinda happened to comedy as well. Mm-hmm. And do you just wring your hands whenever you're writing your next stand up show for not being cancelled?
0: Is in like is uh, in like a fear of like getting it wrong or people coming down on you. Is yeah. that what you mean?
3: And what can you say and what can you not say and
0: The thing is, you can say what you want. No one's stopping anyone. That's like, it's a thing that sort of comes up again and again when it comes to right-wing comedians. People are always saying, you know, I'm a bleeding-heart lefty liberal, you know, and, you know, Quite often, certainly with stuff like the BBC, they always have to have balance. They're like everyone's desperately searching for a right-wing comedian. Mm. The thing is, is that no one is ever stopping anyone from saying anything on stage. Mm -hmm. Comedy, you know, you can go and say whatever you want on stage. When I go on stage, no one is, you know, there's not someone there that's going to grab the mic off me if I say something. But the audience tell you what you can and can't say.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The audience tell you what they are willing to listen to. I guess part of it is because the the alternative comedy movement in this country started sort of because of Thatcher it was sort of people comedy started off being really political certainly down at the comedy store mm. in the 80s people were railing against the government and it was very left wing And then, and and obviously all the comedy that predates that would be like mother-in-law stuff, (laughs) racist stuff, homophobic stuff, really Mm. sexist stuff. And then there was like a shift where it became really political. Mm. And so that's why there's so there's such a history, like, you know, like Alexi Sale, Mark Steele, Jeremy Hardy, like all those sort of legends of the sort of left-wing comedy movement. And that's sort of where a lot of that stuff has come from. Also, comedy is always going to be... Like, we've su- currently got a right-wing government. So it makes sense that a lot of the comedy is left-wing because it doesn't really matter who's in power. People would be poking fun at the government. Yeah. You can see it at the moment on SNL with them taking the piss out of people that are in a democratic
1: <laughs> um,
0: government. You know, that is That's sort of the job of a political comic. And, mm. and I would say that I'm not a particularly political comic. The, the most political thing I do is be a gay woman on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of... uh, I occasionally might talk about something to do with the government. I'm more likely to talk about, you know, my experience as a gay person Mm travelling, for example, in the countries that I feel that I can't go to. Now that is political in a way, but it's also through my lens. So it's observational storytelling, Mm -mm -mm. rather than it being a piece of political comedy. Mm. But... (laughs) The thing is about, you know, what you can and can't say and you should say this and you mustn't say that and if, you know, if someone was right-wing on the if someone did really right-wing material on TV, you know they'd be cancelled. The the truth is, is that an audience decides
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. an audience
0: decides whether it's funny or not. An audience decides whether they want to stay and watch you Mm. You know, if you start doing stuff that people find offensive, you can say it. (laughs) No one's going to stop you from saying it. You know, but the, the idea that free speech isn't a thing in comedy like Dave Chappelle had, I think, the Biggest ever check from Netflix and it's an hour of bashing trans people
1: Mm, mm. it's so
0: bizarre and he was genuinely like his old stand up is some of the most blindingly brilliant comedy you could ever watch Mm. but you can't tell me that there's a problem with free speech in comedy when the biggest check in comedy has been given to someone that spends a long time talking about trans people in a really nasty way that doesn't have a punchline.
3: Mm-hmm. So you don't feel in any way hemmed in for, for new material in twenty twenty two by the situation, the landscape.
0: No, I think if anything, there's more to talk about.
3: Oh, Okay, well that's
0: because good. I think that I think that some people, I'm sure, are really worried about what they say about being misconstrued. But I think an audience will tell you. Mm. long before you get on to TV or radio doing it.
1: Mm.
0: I also think the whole free speech thing is a great thing for mediocre right-wing comedians to say. Mm. When you go, hun, if you were a left-wing comedian and you had this standard, you wouldn't be going on Tilly either. <laughs> it's it's a you problem. <laughs>
3: well, is it is there something in the idea of like, comedy supposed to be transgressive by its very nature. Therefore, if you say, oh, I'm not allowed to say this, then you immediately mark yourself out as transgressive when perhaps you're just not being very imaginative because you're just well, being mean. I
0: think the whole, like, you're not allowed to say this, like, God, like, people have been doing, you know, rape gags, like, brutal, like, horrid, horrid material. Since I started stand-up, which is, like, 12 years ago, there's always been that sort of undercurrent of really dark, nasty stuff mm. that doesn't really seem to ever get on anything there might be some people that like you know get ahead of the game but yeah I think people like to be like oh I'm edgy Then you go oh, are you or are you just a prick mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your first and I
0: think that's the question <laughs> can you use that bit yeah on the uh on the Instagram absolutely
3: <laughs> with my with my strange hostage video background and so when you sit down because you're going on tour soon right
0: I'll go back out so I just finished a tour and I just shot a special that's going to go on one of the streamers. But you're not
3: allowed to say which streamer, are you? Because you said it. and then No, you because I announced
0: it. it and then I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, bleep is filming my show and it's going to be move. available for the next two years on this streaming platform. Okay. And then my agent rang me and was like, Han, that's not been announced <laughs> yeah. yet. And so I had to be like, hey guys, remember that thing to forget <laughs> it. So I've just done a show that's going out and now I'm in the process of putting together some very new material to start sort of working out what I'm going to talk about in the next
3: tour. Do you remember your first gig? Yeah, of course. What was it?
0: So the first sort of proper comedy gig, I was in a place called the Lion's Den, which was in a pub called the Cross Kings, which that pub is not called the Cross Kings anymore. In King's Cross? In King's Cross, yeah. Yes. And I had about four minutes of material, and some of my friends came along for some moral support. And I got a handful of laughs and it was sort of the best feeling I'd ever had where I go oh this is this is amazing and the next day I rang this was I mean, I think now like newer comics you just have to like email people constantly to try and get a gig. But this was twelve years ago, which isn't that long, but what you'd do is you'd get the copy of Time Out and in the back of Time Out I had all the open mic nights. Mm. And then and then there would be a mobile number that you would ring. And some of the mobile numbers said, We only do bookings on Mondays between nine and eleven So you'd have to wait until Monday and then at nine they and, <sighs> and they go, Okay, you can have a gig in two weeks and then you'd slowly fill up your diary and try and write <sighs> little bits and bobs um that you thought were funny and and then, yeah, and then you just keep writing little bits and bobs and I still am sitting writing little bits and bobs and trying to be funny.
3: Stressful is the word that's in my head of like having to put, pull the material together, but I'm aware it's your job and you're very good at it.
0: Well, I think it's stressful, but I think it's also, it's such a buzz mm. when it works, when it goes well, when you have one of those gigs. Yes. It's, it's, um, and I, and I, it's it, the thing that I really love because now I I have the privilege of being someone that tours and I have an audience that come out and see me. And, you know, it, it's not like I'm playing, you know, humongous theatres, but, you know, I can put on a gig in smaller theatres and art centres in most places in the country and people will come along. So and I good. think that's an enormous privilege.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, you know, I'm going to say that again because my phone, because I got a text message <laughs> from my mum. <mom>. <laughs> what does it say? So what it says is... <laughs> I'll bring the vodka and I've got some Malibu. Does anyone like that? (laughs) That's what it says.
3: Your mum sounds amazing.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. My mum came up to the Edinburgh Festival to see me and like my run was sold out. I was having a great time. I was doing some TV spots while I was up there. Like, you know, it's lovely. The my mum comes with my auntie and they're buying Cokes all night. And I was like, why don't you just have a drink? Mum was like, Oh, we've got a bottle of vodka in our bag. And I was like, Mum, <laughs> I'm at like the biggest arts festival in the world. There's like TV producers and like different people that I've got to like schmooze with and like not and like my mum's there, like with a little mini bottle of vodka because she's too tight <laughs> to buy a fucking drink. I
1: was I like, love mum, that. like,
0: can you not, like, people, like, looking over and being like, did Susie's mum bring her own vodka that she went and got from Tesco? <laughs> and the answer was yes, she did. <laughs>
3: I, anyway, that's my mum. I think that's wonderful. Your mum features a lot in your comedy, or has done. She
0: does. She does, it's true. How
3: close is she to the person you create, Create you, you, you describe, I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, she's pretty close. Really? You know, I t- yeah, I turn her her up a little bit, but yeah, she's, like, all the things that I say on stage that she has said, she has said.
1: Really? And she
0: doesn't, and yeah, and I, I will say to her, can I say that? And she'll say, yeah. <laughs> like, when, when I had a terrible breakup, her response, it wasn't immediate, but within, like, an hour, she went, do you think it's because you're so selfish? And even in the moment of feeling very sad... My comedic brain went, that's a bit. <laughs> but she's, I mean, she's amazing and she's enormously loving and she is, you know, one of the absolute best people I know.
3: When she says, do you think it's because you're so selfish? Is she trying to help or she just can't help herself?
0: Oh, no, I think she's trying to help. To her, <laughs> she'd be like, well, that's useful. to so be less selfish.
3: <laughs> wow.
0: Oh, when she told my wife, after we'd got married, she went... Just so you know, you're my favourite out of all of them she's had. (laughs) Like, okay, great. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. It's all true. She doesn't really have a filter. There's an honesty to her that I think is refreshing.
3: Do you think that if you have a parent who has no filter, it makes you have a lot of filter?
0: Oh, yeah, probably. I've never thought that. But yes, probably. (laughs) And it makes you worry about their filter when you're out in public.
3: Yes, yes. But people are really drawn to those kind of people. I'm just not that person. I, I'm very filtered.
0: No, but mum would also be the kind of person that would be like, if we were on the tube and someone was dressed up, she'd be like, I like your shoes. Yeah. like She'd throw out a compliment, which I think that's Wonderful. a really lovely thing. That's actually, do you know what? Tom Allen is great at doing that. Is he? Oh, he that's tells, nice. Yeah, he tells people they look nice and he'll be, he's really like great at chit chat. Yes. And and I think that's such a quality because I've had that before when I've been on my way somewhere. And I've really made an effort. And if a stranger sort of says, Oh, you look really nice. Yes. It makes you feel great. Mm. I feel like we should all be doing that more. Yes. It's such a nice feeling of someone being like, Oh, I really like what I really like your outfit. Yeah. Well, that's a nice suit.
3: I always try and do it. I've actually not mm. done it lately. Um, there was No,
0: you did because when I came on the call you said that you liked my mauve Fred Perry.
3: <laughs> I can I just say I love your mauve Fred Perry. And you. when you're ready to compliment my green gym top from probably from from a shop called the great outdoors I know have
0: you been to the gym this morning is that what you were just dropping into conversation
3: uh I haven't been to the gym I've done exercise in my garden
0: what sort of exercise
3: like uh jumping around with weights and all that stuff
0: oh will that carry on yeah (laughs) did you have a personal trainer come around uh over zoom over zoom me my husband
3: and my husband's sister do it every week together
0: in your garden. Yeah,
3: I oh, know. All on Zoom though, so he'll he'll be like in the office. I'll be here. The <laughs> sister will be at home. It's really we did. We started it over lockdown, and there were like twenty of us doing it, and we're the only three remaining.
0: Oh, I think that's lovely.
3: It's really it's really nice, but I said when we started, I want to look like Tom Daly. I don't even look four percent more like Tom Daly than I did when I began.
0: I think. And, I, and I've and i done it myself mm-hmm. when I was obsessed with having Britney's abs.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Saying I want an Olympian's body mm-hmm. who is noted for how fit he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say if you considered maybe an Olympian that has, He's you know, given up. Closer to 40. But it's still. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I, think, I think we it. can all say we'd like to have Tom Daly's body. I think I would too. Do you know what? You're you not know?
3: that but, unlike your mother.
0: <laughs> what i'm saying we is i think you're always going to feel bad <laughs> if you give yourself if you if if, if we're all saying let's have tom daly's body fuck it
3: i'd have mark foster the swimmer i'd be happy with that he's probably 50 isn't he still
0: professional athletes
3: oh.
0: um, i'm sure your body is lovely
3: it's fine i'm a, you know it's it is what it is
0: i've seen you in a suit you look great you're trim
3: stop it that suit when we met for the first time Oh, hang on. There's a delivery man. No, it's not me. I think it's over there. He thinks that you're just, like,
0: practising stand-up or something because you're holding a microphone.
3: (laughs) He's like, what is the matter with you? That suit I wore when I met you, um, Susie and I met, was it Attitude or Gay Times? Attitude
0: Awards. The Attitude Awards, yeah.
3: I only have one suit. Actually, it's not quite true. There are a few other bits lurking around, but there's really only one suit. I hadn't put it on for years for obvious reasons. Coronavirus. It was so tight, that suit. It was unbelievable. We well, go- I didn't notice it. Well, thanks. You looked lovely. You were in a suit, weren't you?
0: I wore a red suit. Mm. And as I arrived, I remembered that it was sponsored by Virgin. Oh. <laughs> so I looked like I was, I looked like cabin crew all night. I was sat next to Alan Carr mm-hmm. and he just kept trying to order from me all night. So like, oh, hello, love. Can you get me a j um, That's hysterical. Hilarious stuff. But as I watched, in, I said to my wife, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, and she was like, "Hun, you absolutely have to own this. <laughs> You've got to own this. So I immediately was like, okay, I'm gonna have to go and get a photo with myself and all the drag queens that are pretending to be cabin crew. Oh,
3: brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs>
0: Um But uh thank you for saying I look nice. You looked lovely. That, you know, maybe that I could work for Virgin.
3: I, one of the jobs I would love to do is be cabin crew. I'd be the one who's like, I'll sort you out. We've got a bit more of that in the back. I'll bring it through.
0: Once I was on an Air New Zealand flight, mm-hmm. I was like, I'd love a red wine. He was like, I've got a great mail back. It's not on the list. No. It's from... It's from um First class, but I'll get you on. I was
3: like, oh. that, but that keeps you coming back forever.
0: I am on an Air New Zealand flight right now.
3: <laughs> They're doing these That's new cabins. I do, my, I do my podcast. <laughs> from... Alice comes up a lot as well in your podcasting. Yes,
0: she, she does. She's my wife.
3: She's your wife. You got married recently; which was very exciting. We did, but I don't know if you talk about this publicly. But you have had a kid. Do you talk about that?
0: Do you know what? I'm just starting to, so I'm sort of okay with talking about it. But mm-hmm. this is, the, I, I mean, uh, it's something that I haven't even talked about really on my podcast. So we became parents during lockdown. Oh, wow. It was something that we wanted to do for a long time. Something I talked about on stage for a long time, wanting to become a parent. And, you know, as queer people, there are lots of options mm. and different ways of doing it. And we found the the the, the way that was right for us. Mm. And we, yeah, we became parents over lockdown and decided to sort of not really... Because I wasn't pregnant, mm-hmm. there was no need to sort of talk about it in a public way. I didn't want it to be sort of, it wasn't something that I wanted to be on sort of my Instagram or anything like that. Mm. Because it's very much our daughter's life. Mm. I don't know whether she's going to be an extrovert like me. She might be an introvert like Alice. Mm. And Alice doesn't like being on my social media really. She doesn't, I'll occasionally put up a picture of her, mm. but she's, she doesn't really like any of that. Yeah. And I think when we decided to become parents, that was something that Alice said. She was like, I don't want you doing like a deal with (laughs) Pampers. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I think that people should do absolutely what they feel is right. But Alice is very, very private. Right. She's a very private person. And she doesn't, you know, she comes to the events and she like, you know, we'll have a photo together and occasionally and people, people Google. Alice Ruffle, they will see a picture of her. But she also she doesn't mind me talking about stuff in stand up on stage because she, she's very supportive and she gets that I talk about my life on stage. But I think I think that when it comes to talking about our little girl, who you know doesn't have a say in any of that, yeah, it's sort of important to keep some of it back. And I think because it all happened over lockdown, and because it all happened when. We were sort of switched off from the world, which was kind of great because it's exactly what we needed when we were like, "Okay, we have a baby. Mm. How are we going to take care of this little child mm. um it just I just never really felt like there was a time that I wanted to be like oh we have we have a baby, although now I am now I think last night was the first night I ever said i said an online gig I said we' become parents, and this is the first time I've mentioned it in a podcast, but that's also because it's the truth and I and I and I'm and you know, and I'm very proud of our family and I'm very proud yeah. of our little girl and I love her dearly and I don't want to not talk about her, but I also want to be mindful.
3: I'm aware we need to finish but I do just want to ask you one um, purely because I'm about to become a parent how exciting so we're doing surrogacy
0: oh my god how wonderful it's the best thing it's the best oh I'm so pleased to hear you say that even the sleepless nights it's the best she's the best thing that's ever happened to me I can't imagine loving anyone more and it makes me love Alice even more because watching her become a mum has been like one of the greatest joys of my life oh that's so lovely it's just the most wonderful thing to see
3: so people say this a lot and then i don't know whether i agree with it but or or understand it fully but i thought i'd throw it open to another parent do you think that it when it comes to defining the parenting roles uh in in a queer relationship raising a kid and by the way i'm not talking about like who's mom who's dad that bullshit i'm talking about like how the fuck are we going to run at this together how have you worked that out as a couple
0: so (laughs) when we first decided that we were gonna we wanted to try and become parents Mm. we had this really frank discussion about like what we thought were really important with regards to like discipline or schools or you know stuff that would happen in the distant future well not so distant future i guess Mm. but all of those things that were sort of really important to us so, like, so, for example, we both, oh, this is the thing that some people were like. So we both decided that we were like, let's try and keep her away from sugar, for example, mm-hmm. for as long as possible. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we'd both read a thing and we were like, that's something that we both thought, okay, well, that's stuff that we really agree on. There were other things that we didn't quite agree on, but it was sort of like, okay, well who feels the strongest
1: mm.
0: about this thing? You know, and we would be really open to conversations. Alice was very much like, I don't want to start feeling like a 1950s housewife. Yes you know, I don't want to be doing all the dinner and doing all this and doing all that. And so it was really important that we were really frank with each other about, you know, we shared who does the night times and then who does the early mornings and and having those things really clear, like I'll do the night time, but then I'll have a lay in. And then the next night, Alice do the night time, but she'll get a lay in. You know, those sorts of things really helped us. And I think because we were so excited and thrilled to be, be becoming mums, and I don't know, Chris, if you feel similarly, but I think because... There is certainly, maybe not to people coming out now or young people that are coming out now, mm. but certainly for people of our generation, when you came out, you sort of went, oh, I guess I never get that. Mm. Or certainly I did. I can't speak for myself, can't I? Mm. But I, there was definitely part of me that sort of went, oh, I guess I'll never be a mum. Mm. And I think Alice had that as well. And so I think the fact that we both had this sort of, this miracle baby came to us, mm. it was very good at reminding us to think often about how lucky we are and because it is a lot harder for a queer couple to have a baby Mm. it's you know I've got lots of friends that have done the we're not trying but we're not not trying and and that sort of thing or babies that are a surprise you know that are loved just as much as the ones that are planned let me be very clear Mm. but I think because it was it was a long process of becoming parents that we we had we were so excited we'd also spoken about so many things and we also do you know what we also had couples therapy
3: oh love couples therapy
0: yeah not long before she arrived yeah we sort of went let's be really let's make sure that we're really looking after each other yeah I because love this that. is the biggest thing we ever do
3: i love that looking after each other is a wonderful way to look at it and communication
0: i think so and i think that's the thing of like making sure that like I get the chocolate she really likes. Making sure that I oh. make dinner or make you know like something that we're doing quite a lot at the moment is um, we'll have she nap in the daytime, <laughs> and so <laughs> we, she she naps in the daytime, mm. and so we'll put that will be when we'll make lunch, and we'll have like a, we'll have our dinner at lunchtime. This is, a couple of times this a week is because I will be not being Alice. in the evening. This is the baby <laughs> not Alice because I might be working in the evening. Yeah. We try and like carve out a couple of hours for just us. Oh that's lovely. So like you know we'll we'll make we'll make dinner and then we'll like watch an episode of what's it called the new sex in the city? Oh
3: and just like that. That's it. And
0: just like that. We'll watch an episode of that and have like and just carve out a little bit of time for us too.
3: That's lovely. Is
0: it? Yeah because you're making
3: an effort. <laughs> I, think so. I think that's beautiful and it's been such a it's been so magical to listen to honestly. Two people oh, thank you. respecting each other making sure they act in a way that respects each other, takes each other into account and and tries to, let you say, Alice not wanting to become a 1950s housewife, you know, try and be respectful of what each other wants out of it. Because I'm i terrified of becoming a 1950s housewife because I'm the freelancer and my husband is the full-time jobber. And it's no, there's nothing to do mm. with him. It's not him. He's amazing and supportive and wonderful and all of those things. I adore him and the way he would be an amazing dad. But... When you're in a relationship where one person's full-time and one person's freelance, it's just tricky because you do end up the, – the life of a freelancer is, for anyone listening who's freelance, you're always the person who has to wait in for the plumber. <laughs> 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 always. It's like, oh, okay, because people uh, think you don't have a job. And you're like, I do have a job. It's just on my own. <laughs>
0: I think as well, we, we've still managed to have a real laugh, mm. even on days when it's really tough, even when days when we've not slept. Mm. And it's been like, oh my God, <laughs> how is she still alive? <laughs> um, even then, we still have a really good laugh. And, you know, I think that the joy of being her mum mm. is, is the thing that's the, the greatest thing for both of us.
3: Nourishing, life-affirming... Beautiful stuff. I love Susie Ruffle. Thank you, Susie, for giving us your time. That was such a lovely chat. Listeners, write in and tell us what you think. Many things to talk about further there. Get in touch on Instagram at Homo Sapiens. Get in touch on Facebook at Homo Sapiens Podcast. Email hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast.com and send us your agony uncles. It's anonymous if you do as an agony uncle. Next week, we are going to be speaking to the founders of the iconic Club Night Pussy Palace who have been taking the press by storm listeners because they have been charging straight people and queer people at different prices and the world has gone mad about it. Cannot wait for you to hear that lovely chat. So thank you for listening. I love you all.